We are going to be looking today and next Sunday at a couple of different passages, but I want to particularly look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 is where we're going to begin from today. And then we're also going to be looking at passages from the New Testament uh, account of Jesus calling the disciples and also from the account of Exodus that we've already read from of Jesus or of God calling his children out of the bondage of the Egyptians. And we're going to, for the next two weeks, we're going to focus on this phrase, He's calling us. He's calling us. Second Corinthians there in the New Testament, uh, the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get into Acts, Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians right there. So we're going to look at chapter 6. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. That's why this is called Corinthians. And he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or that is, with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Now he's quoting from the Old Testament, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This passage is often used to talk about uh, Christians having uh, relationships, particularly dating or marriage relationships with people who aren't Christians. That's a very narrow interpretation of this scripture. And I want to assure you right off the bat that this is we're not what we're not going to be looking at, what this passage is not saying to us, is that believers should never have anything in common or any connection with unbelievers. You know we don't believe that the Bible teaches that. In fact, we ought to be in the world where there are people who maybe don't believe or they're not sure what they believe. Now, that's where we're called to go. So we really want to dive into this and see what is it that that Paul is talking about, and he's using this example from Exodus, and he um, is saying that God has called us to come out. He's, He's calling us to something unique. Here's the problem. Our view of the world has become increasingly shaped by culture wars and sociopolitical viewpoints. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you can go onto the news or onto news talk shows or just whatever uh, station you turn on, whether it's on the TV, the radio, or whether you're going online and getting it, and you can find out that there are warring factions in our society. You can make almost any statement publicly and find people who would be willing to disagree with you about it. Benign things. But then there are serious topics that do matter kind of what you believe and where you stand. And there are warring factions over those as well. And some of them have to do with politics, but a lot of them don't have to do with politics. Some of them have to do with with socioeconomic status or experiences or rural communities versus more suburban communities or urban communities, right? You probably have uttered the words at some point in your life, if you're still living in Hudson, you are the surrounding area, you have probably uttered the words at some point in your life, man, I'm really glad to live in a small town. 
or a small community. You've probably said that. I've said it. I say it all the time, usually when I'm driving in a really big city. You have a different way of viewing life from people who live in big cities. Some of you who have done both know it looks entirely different, right? Some of your backgrounds and your experiences, my backgrounds and my experiences, they just make people different from each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing even wrong with disagreeing about what preference we would have, right? You know, like if you said that you preferred like McDonald's chicken nuggets to Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets, like you can be wrong if you want to be. That's, that's okay. You can have your opinions. We don't all have to agree about everything. But here's what is happening in our society. Our way of viewing the world has become shaped not so much just by our opinions, but by the way that we see our opinions in conjunction with other people. And so, usually when we look at the world around us, we're looking at it through a lens. And sometimes because of that lens we have a tendency to lose our vision of what God has called us to be. Now, if you're a young person, a teenager, a young adult, you might know that you are still in the process of trying to determine what God has called you to be. That's part of that stage of life. But I got news for you. Sometimes even as adults, we are stepping back and maybe we have a career. Maybe we feel like what we know we're doing with some aspects of our life. We say, well, what is God calling me? Where does he want me? What does he want to do through me? I mean, I, I've, got, I've got a job or I've got family. I've got some places that I find myself. But what does God really want from me? What is he asking me, inviting me to do? And when we only view it through that lens of kind of what we see and feel and experience in society, it leads us to a garbled view of the Christian life. On the one hand, we have a tendency to push back against things that we feel threaten us. And that's where we hear a lot of terminology that says we have to protect or defend or stand for our rights. Now, I believe that our country grants us certain rights, and it is a blessing to have them. A lot of people in the world don't know what that feels like. That's a blessing. But when we get all caught up in what we're against and defending our positions as Christians, that's a garbled view of the Christian lifestyle. God did not first and foremost call us to be defensive about all the things that we're afraid may invade our space in life. But that happens on the one hand, and then on the other hand, we have a, a separate problem where we are still very inclined to end up imitating most of the culture around us. What do we see as the value system in regular, everyday society? What do you have? How high can you go? What's in the bank account? How much is the paycheck? Are you liked by people? Look, you can walk into the elementary school or the middle school, high school, cafeteria at lunchtime, and you can watch the pecking order start to flesh itself out. Now, as adults, and certainly we talked last week about the beginning of the school year and the education system, we, we work to train children that there's a better way of seeing relationships than just that. But, but there's still a little bit of it that goes on, and you want to know the reason why? Because it also happens to us adults. You go to the lunchroom at work, you go hang out 
with coworkers after work. You even go to family functions sometimes. And there's a bit of a hierarchy that starts to flesh itself out. Who's really liked? Who's tolerated? Who does everyone go, ah, when they're around that person? It happens. Because we're human and we're broken. Right? Now, I want to assure you that if you, if you find yourself knowing that that experience is true, this is not a message of, of doom and gloom for us, like, oh, why would we ever function that way? Why, why would we act that way towards other people? It is because humanity is broken, but there is hope. There is great hope for us. You see, God is calling us not to be a people who are just defensive against things that we feel might invade us, morally, ethically, or whatever. And God is also not calling us just to imitate the world, the society around us by creating hierarchy and worrying the most about what we have and what we can hold on to. God has called us to a better way. Now, I am not saying that if you are a Christian that you will never need to worry about money because that's a worldly thing. Or you never need to worry about whether or not you are thought well of by your peers because that's a worldly thing. Or that you don't need to worry about having a, a nice home or taking care of the things you have because those are worldly things. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is if our lens gets contaminated with those things as being the priorities, then all of the other stuff will start to fade off to the side. And so the biblical evidence that we see in Corinthians that we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning, and then, we're, as I said, we're going to be sort of comparing the Exodus account where God calls his children out of bondage and the New Testament account where he calls the disciples to follow him. What we are going to find is that God has actually called you to something better and more. That at the end of the day, as much as we do want to provide for ourselves and for our families. God is not worried as much about whether or not we've got the biggest bank account or the best job title or the best family photos or the best experiences. He's not as concerned about those things. Neither is he as concerned about what we may feel happening in society around us that doesn't line up with what we believe because ultimately he is calling us to be a different kind of people. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians and the Corinthian church existed in an area where there was a lot of paganism very prevalent in their society. So this little church that had cropped up there that Paul, as, as these new Christians are, are converting, that Paul is writing to, they are surrounded and even their church culture is being influenced by a lot of the secular society all around them to the extent that a lot of times you couldn't tell the difference between people who were calling themselves followers of Jesus and people who were just pagans on the streets. And while God is not asking us to set ourselves up to look down on everybody else, there should be a marked difference between somebody who is following the, the worldview and the lifestyle and the characteristics of Jesus Christ and somebody who is not. 
This helps to answer one of the great philosophical questions of our time. In this series, we're going to be starting in a couple weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about the philosophical doubts about God. But one of the questions that a lot of people have is that if God is not real, if there isn't a higher truth than just us, then why does it matter how we behave? You are born with an innate sense that there is a moral code, even if we don't always hold to it. We know there's a moral code. Have you ever heard yourself using this phrase? That's just wrong. Says who? We have this idea that there is something bigger and higher than just us. God has given us a sense that there is something bigger that he's calling us to. And so here in 2 Corinthians, when Paul is writing to this church, he is saying to them, you should behave differently than if you didn't have a relationship with me, with God, or with God. Remember, Paul is the one who was out persecuting Christians and killing them. He hated the church before God got a hold of his life. Paul knows what it looks like to be redeemed, to be changed. So when he's writing to these people, he's not just shooting off his mouth. He's not just writing a letter and saying, oh, I got to have something to finish off this page. Let me, let me write something. No, he knows what it looks like for somebody to go from following a, a mindset and a worldview that is not of Christ to being completely changed by him. And so... He says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. There is an unyoking that he talks about. Now, Kent was mentioning to us that this time of the year, a lot of farmers are out in, out in the fields. They're bringing in the, the harvest, the crops for this season. We have a lot of great machinery, machinery to help make that happen, don't we? But of course, back... In the day when this text was written, the only way to go out and do work in your field was to go do it by hand or to hook up the animals to the cart and go out in the field and do it that way. When you have animals yoked together, they pull together because the yoke that is over their neck is requiring them to stay in tandem with each other, okay? And I have heard it said, even though I don't have a lot of experience with animals, that it's very typical that there would be one of the animals in the pair that is usually the dominant of the two. They're both strong, they're both pulling together, but one is usually the dominant of the couple. And so they pull and that animal sort of sets the pace in the direction. And the yoke holds them together. So Paul says, you should not be harnessed together with an influence in your life that pulls you in a direction that is contrary to what you know God has called you to do. Now you say, well, wait a minute. What is, what's harnessed together? What does that actually mean? 
Again, like I said, sometimes this passage has just been used to talk about relationships, but I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. Paul's not giving a, a dissertation on marriage or relationships here, so it, it can apply to that. But what he's saying is when we function in the world, it's not that we shouldn't be around people who have a different belief system than we do. It's not that we shouldn't engage them, interact with them, but we should not be hooked up with them in mindset, right? The mindset of the follower of Jesus is not the mindset of somebody who's living for themselves. It's not. And so if we are trying to imitate the mindset of the world, of secular culture, because we're pulling in that direction, we cannot pull in the direction of Jesus. You see the difference? It's so much bigger than just about individual relationships. God wants us to pull in the direction of following Jesus. And when we have yoked our minds with the mindset of the world, we will always find that to be a dominant force in our decision-making. So I said a few minutes ago, there's nothing wrong with working hard and making money and saving money and spending money that we've made. But there is going to be a pulling in a different direction when it comes to how we view our money from the world around us. Jesus said to give away what you have or be willing to give it away. If someone is in need, give it to them. Don't ask. Don't expect anything in return. Just give it to them. Have you ever had a situation where someone's offered you something for free, what's the first thing that you usually, if you don't say it out loud, you probably at least think it in your mind. What's the first thing you think when somebody offers you something for free? What's the what? Yeah, what's tied to it? What's the catch here, right? Why do you think that automatically? Because that's the mindset. The mindset. That's, that's a natural human mindset. You don't just give stuff away. You always want something in return, right? But Jesus said, be willing to give away what you have expecting nothing in return. Do you see the difference? What about relationships? So often we build relationships based on what we want out of them. It happens in friendships, it happens in dating, it happens in work relationships, it happens in marriages, where those relationships are built around, well, what do I need out of this? I heard someone, or saw something that someone wrote recently that said, really, it was referring to marriages, but this could be true of any relationship. It said, marriage relationships should be a contest to see who can out-submit the other one. In other words... If we spent our entire relationship trying to do what was always best for the other person and they in turn were doing the same thing towards us, think about how much healthier our relationships would be instead of when we're always pulling for what I would prefer, what I want. You say, well, that doesn't sound very fun to never be getting what I want out of a relationship. But that's because we have been conditioned with the mindset that it should be about us. And Jesus came along and gave us the example. The Son of God who created the world, spoke everything into existence, never sinned a day in his life, didn't even have to come down to earth. And he came here and gave up everything that he had so that we could have a relationship with God. That's the example we're following. This life is temporary. So while it is great to have relationships, friendships, work situations that we enjoy and that we appreciate, there is something so much bigger to it than just 
enjoying it. We have a calling. And our calling is to submit, to serve, to help those around us. And if you think about it, what we try to teach our kids as they grow up is that very mentality. What it, what it, when we tell a, a kid that they ought to share their toy with another kid in the nursery, what are we teaching them? It's not just about you. It's also about them. It's a, it's a humility lesson. And so he says, don't be bound together with unbelievers. Now, I don't believe that that means that you can't be in a relationship with or a business relationship with or have any doings with people who aren't believers. I don't think that's what he's saying. What he's saying is you need to realize that the mindset cannot be yoked together because you have two different ways of viewing the world. But here's the beauty of what God's calling us to do. He doesn't say, so hold them at arm's length and just realize that, well, they're, they're a pagan, they're lost, they're, they have no hope. No, the beauty of what he's calling us to do is to so let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and do what? Turn their attention to our Father who is in heaven. That's the, that's the call. For people to see and to look and to say, you know what, there's something so uniquely different about you. Why? Why? What fellowship does light have with darkness? That's the question that Paul asks. How do those two mix together? Light and darkness. There is an interaction between them, right? I've been, uh, well, during COVID, and uh, we ended up doing, doing a lot more video work during COVID. Everyone did, right? And we, we had to, to learn some things. Judy was helping me out a little bit, and Jen with some of the, the understanding of lighting surrounding doing videography. And I've watched Judy do a little bit of her photography work. And, and one thing that I've learned, I know nothing about it, but one thing I've learned is that apparently the placement of light in a photograph is of utmost importance. Why? Because every little bit of light that comes into a dark scenario is going to change the entire environment. If it's not placed just right, if it's not just at the right temperature, you'll get an entirely different picture, even if the subject is the same, right? So Paul says, what relationship does light have with darkness? Here's the relationship. They cannot completely coexist with each other because every time you up the light, what are you doing? You're diminishing the darkness, right? A photographer never says, I've got to add more darkness. They might say, I've got to get rid of some light. Okay? Or I need to add some light. But as soon as you're adding light, you're diminishing the darkness. That's the relationship. So Paul says, well, what relationship does light have with darkness? He wants us to understand that you cannot have all of both. Following Jesus is not about stepping into a relationship and then continuing to live the way that you lived when you didn't have a relationship with him. That's, that's not what it is. What relationship does light have with darkness? Following the call of Christ is a humility a practice in humility. Instead of pursuing a militant takeover of the culture 
in which we exist. Look, I want to see the culture transformed by the power of Jesus. But ultimately, I'm not looking to do a militant takeover of the culture around me. I'm looking to follow Jesus. And that light of him as it shines through me to the extent that I can affect the culture around me, that's what I want to do. But I'm not in it for the war. I'm in it for the relationship. Now next week, we're going to finish off this discussion by actually examining there are three areas that we see imitated from the calling of the children of Israel. Remember, they were being called out of bondage. God called them out of bondage, out of darkness, out of oppression. So we're going to compare that to Jesus' calling of the disciples. He calls them out of their selfishness, out of their self-focus, out of them just living their own daily routines, and he calls them for a purpose. And we're going to compare those two experiences and see what is God calling us to be then. But for today, for this week, I want you to take this with you. God calls us to something that is vastly different than what the world conditions us to think. I'll use this example and then we'll wrap up for today. Do you ever watch... the problems in society and some of the proposed solutions to those problems. And instead of it giving you great hope and encouragement, it just makes you more depressed. The solutions that we see being presented, if anything, they seem like maybe they're just going to make the problem more muddy, maybe worse. Do you know why you feel that way? Because we know that ultimately humanity is not able to solve its own problem. That's why you feel that way deep down inside. Why? The best minds, the smartest people, the best orators, the most educated among us are still broken. Still broken. So when you go out to your job this week or you're interacting with your family this week or whatever it is that you spend your time doing, you're going to school this week, whatever you're doing, let me encourage you with something, okay? You don't have what it takes. That's the most encouraging thing a pastor's ever said to you. Yeah, tough. You don't got it. Why am I saying that's encouragement? Because when you can relinquish the feeling that you have to have what it takes, now all of a sudden, you're leaving room for Christ to enter the space and say, you can do all things through me. Do you see the difference? We naturally, as part of the society, are convinced to do it on our own. And Jesus says, no, you can't. But you can do it through me. You can be who I have called you to be. And I believe that if the church took more seriously the call to not try to duplicate the answers that the world is giving us, we've done that sometimes. We duplicate the, world, the, the answers the world gives us and then we just add enough Christian to them to make them sound holy. It's not the answer. It's a complete reversal of our nature. That's the answer. And next week, we're going to talk about these three things about how he calls us to actually live that out.
So come back next week, we'll finish that up, and then in two weeks we'll start our series on searching for answers, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you have called us out of darkness and into your light. We admit that a lot of times we have tried to be yoked together with a mindset of how we used to be and how we used to live. But we admit that that's not the way to go. So instead, we want to yoke ourselves, we want to bind ourselves to you and to your nature and to your mindset and to your spirit. For that, we will give you thanks because you have offered it to us without cost. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.